Here we go, here we go, here we go now. You are listening to Overtime with Oliver. I am your host, David Oliver, and it is March 8th, 2020. If you were listening to this on the 8th, like myself, you lost an hour of sleep last night. Be nice to your friends and family. Last night, had a good time. Went to the DeSmet auction. DeSmet, one of the many fine high schools in St. Louis. Went with my lovely wife. No, I did not pay $7,000 for a puppy. And no, I did not spend $15,000 on a five-day stay in Scottsdale where there is no beach. But did buy some gift certificates, laid the groundwork for date nights, always important, and had my first I Like Your Podcast encounter. Man's name's Jeff, very nice, came up, was gentle, first time was pleasant. Today's episode, Dr. Arturo Taco Jr., we're going to discover why it is important to know about senior in his life. And unfortunately, if you know of somebody who has an opiate addiction or problem, it's a must listen. And if you don't, well, that's great. It's still a good talk. Moving on to local stories, Missouri has reported our first positive coronavirus case. In the United States, there have been 164 cases reported so far, 11 deaths in 19 states. Not something to make a joke about, but I am curious. Nobody's made a joke about this coronavirus. What if it had been Coors virus or Bud Light virus? Tuesday, Missouri's primary, Biden-Sanders. Flip a coin. Schnucks is opening another store in Champaign, Illinois. This is going to be their fourth overall. They have 112 stores in the Midwest. In 2018, revenue topped off at $2.7 billion. Here's a good story. I like this story. The former Pruitt Igo location being converted to a medical school. Ponce Health Sciences University is going to build a 150,000 square foot facility. It's going to cost them about $80 million and service up to 1,200 students. Here's their niche, their niche, if you will. Students who got rejected by other medical schools. Let's keep an eye on that one. Nationally, what are you going to do? Who did not endorse Joe Biden last week? All right, so now it's time for the episode. Dr. Arturo Taka Jr., immigrant from the Philippines, has gone on to do some great things medically, both locally and nationally. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Taka. Go to Overtime. Overtime with Oliver, with my dad. Tell your friends. Feel comfortable? I'm good. Got your water? Yeah. All right. So, not born and raised in St. Louis? No. My story starts in a very small barrio in the Philippines, San Juan, Metro Manila. I was born there. Um, Spent my first four years there, and unfortunately, because of political situation, or or maybe fortunately, uh, we were able to migrate here uh, as um, political, on political asylum. And you were how old at this time? I was four, because I started school here. Uh, kindergarten here. And so you are Arturo Taka Jr. Junior. What senior do? Senior was a he was a lot of things. Um, he he was a surgeon by by education, but he was a freedom fighter in mm. his heart. So back in the sixties, there was a uh, dictator in the Philippines. It was he was elected president actually, but Who wanted was the dictator? Ferdinand Marcos. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Ferdinand Marcos was elected president and wanted to stay president. Um, and Bless his heart. Yeah, yeah, just like all good dictators <laughs> do. They want to stay in power. 
And uh, what he did was he he jailed and uh, tortured and eliminated anybody that was in his way. So my my dad's parents were uh, card holders of the opposition, the political party, the liberal party. It's sort of like the Democrats and the Republicans here. We were on the other side. And he he was arrested, threatened to be tortured because of his activism in the Philippines. So he was a young activist, like a lot of young people there. They were uh, protesting against the, the government and the dictatorship, and he was jailed. And because of our close affiliation with the um, major members of the Liberal Party, he was, um, he was jailed and threatened to be tortured and things like that. So we eventually um, applied for political asylum, and it was issued here. We Did all traveled. in jail? Um, he got out of jail. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was he was um, he was a low low. To- my my dad's family w- were not were not political. They were actually my grandparents were veterinarians, but they were uh, head of political arms. Uh, uh, pl- I'm sorry, political agencies, um, government agencies, uh, namely the Manila Zoo and the uh, uh, veterinary inspection board. So they they held uh, political um, positions, but they weren't politicians. Mm -hmm. But very, very close to a lot of the politicians in Manila at that time. Uh, Had a lot of influence with a lot of the the senators and congressmen. And um, our affiliation, we we weren't big names, but big enough for Marcos to say, hey, you know, um, stop... uh, Stop your nonsense, or I'm gonna I'm gonna arrest your 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 son, and that's how he worked. That yeah. had to have been scary. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for my for a lot of people, it was the you know it was the dark days of the of the Philippines. You know, people uh, went missing and tortured, and that's how he controlled the um, the people by uh, by the military. That was called martial law, and so that's how some dictators uh, control the country. And are you? Do you have a brother at this time? Sister at this time? We were three, three You're brothers. Three. So, so it the was, five of you got to get the hell out of Dodge. We, 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 we left. My dad got um, a residency here in St. Louis, Missouri at the of old— all places. Yeah, out of, out of all of the places. He wasn't too happy to come here. He thought, uh, like lots of people from other countries or other immigrants, they, St. Louis is not really on the map mm-hmm. and wasn't, um, you know, first choice but, uh, and was worried that uh, he's going in the middle. First place is any place but the Philippines. Well, I mean, Philippines <laughs> is very cosmopolitan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I he was. Thought, a, I was talking about the, the political harassment. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, he, you know, a lot of people from other countries, they hear about St. Louis or St. Louis, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Are you from St. Louis? That's down from the south. You got the Ark. Yeah, yeah, the Ark, <laughs> the Ark. So a lot of people I, actually, you know, you go to Mexico and you say I'm from St. Louis. Oh, yeah, I, I, that. Uh, um, that carnival you have all every every year, and they, it's always they're referring to Louisiana. Oh, okay. And they always think that uh, St. Louis is part of the South. It's not Louisiana. part of the South. Yeah, Louisiana, which you know has its own story. So we're talking about Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras, yeah. Oh, we yeah. have the second. Biggest. We got the second biggest. It's got just the, trying to, you got to get your sleep. It's I'm always up. thinking if you're number two, why don't you just be number one? <laughs> I mean, that's what I was thinking about St. Louis. I mean, we're number two. I can't right, so you plant point. your flag in St. Louis. So my dad gets hard to get a good gig. Your dad? My dad. Yeah, it was difficult to, to you know get a residency here. Training. He didn't. He uh, trained in urology, which is a subspecialty of surgery, and he took it because it was the only thing open. 
Um, he wanted to be just a regular internist, uh, internal medicine doctor, just I a missed, regular doctor. I missed it. Which hospital? This was an old hospital, um, Homer G. Phillips. Sure. Yeah, yeah. A lot of St. Louis guys who grew up here uh, and girls um, remember the, uh, the the Homer G. Phillips. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Homer G. Phillips was a St. Louisan. Mm -hmm. Very, very, uh, you know, he was an activist, too, for, uh, for the African Americans here locally. And this uh, hospital served mainly uh, inner-city African-Americans, but it was great uh, uh, training ground for young doctors, and surgery was his uh, uh, specialty, and uh, urology was what he uh, subspecialized in. So do you have to go through all the schooling again? Do you have to take the tests again? There are tests to take, board exams to take, several. Um, once you have an MD, a medical degree, um, you go to different countries and you take their 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 own you know um, uh, qualifying exams. So he left. He was working in the Philippines as a as a doctor. He had just graduated, and because of his political activism, he lost his job. Hmm. And so and so did my grandparents. They uh, kicked them out of uh, their their jobs, and they were suddenly jobless because we were on the other side of the uh, political. But your grandparents stayed in the Philippines. They did. Um, How was that? Well, my, my grandfather shortly died after um, uh, he died in the mid-70s. And my grandma, just she was just alone, you know. Um, bo both, of our, both of her uh, kids were in the States, and so she was alone, uh, not working so, at that time. But when, uh, Mar when uh, Marshall was lifted and democracy was reestablished, the first thing that the new president did was um, well, get get all the people back into their their jobs. So my gram grandma actually got her job back at the Manila Zoo, and mm. she continued to be the director there for several years after. Did they go back? Couldn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing that uh, if you you apply for political asylum, that re that really means if you go back to your uh, origin of country or kind of, I'm sorry country of origin. Um, you're you're at risk for going back to jail, hmm. so that's what you put on your application. If I go back, I got to stay here in the United States or whatever country you're applying uh, for exile. We were on exile, and they said we got to stay here because if we go back, there's a good chance I'll go back to jail. You know, so um, we weren't able to go back. And was your mom working during this time? No, no, she was a housewife. She met my dad in college. She, when we came here, well, she did work. She worked in you know labs and and things like that. She had a, a med tech uh, degree, and um, so she she uh, she worked briefly. But you know she had she had three boys, and then she had two uh, um, new daughters that were born here, two sisters, and uh, she was busy. Philippines, I should know. English is the main language. English is. Um, is, is very common. The, the, the native language is Tagalog. Okay. Do you speak that? Yes. Yes, Hit I do. Hit you. Hey, como esta, David? <laughs> como esta? So Tagalog I, I, is, is probably almost half Spanish because the Spaniards had colonized the Philippines since the 1500s. And then we went to war, or the Filipinos went to war against Spain in, in, the, in 1890-something. And Look if you... the brain on earth. Well, if you remember your American history... Uh, uh, the United States, during the turn of the century, uh, wanted to be imperialistic. And so they said, it's our turn to sh you know, get some colonies here. So they went to war with Spain. 
and it was the Spanish and American War, if you remember that. Mm -hmm. And they, the, the properties, the territories they got from that war was Cuba, Puerto Rico, and the Philippines. Hmm. And so they were grabbing, grabbing territories from, from different, different places to expand their footprint in the world at that time. Now, have you had the opportunity to get back? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in 80, 86, that was when the revolution occurred in the Philippines. And we were, because when you're on asylum, you can't go back until, you know, there's change in the country. So we weren't allowed to go back. I wasn't even allowed I've never to. never been. Yeah, I wasn't. You should. It should be a bucket list. It's yeah. really, yeah. So uh, during the time. Yeah, um, I can stay. You got, a, you got a relative or something I can stay with? Oh, don't worry. You, you know, bodyguards, whatever you need, David. You'll, you'll, I don't know if you'll come back, honestly. <laughs> so in 80, when you're on a political asylum, you're not allowed to go anywhere. I wasn't able to, growing up, I wasn't able to go to Mexico or Canada. We were, our, our situation was here because the United States was, was uh, adopted us you know, during this period. So fast forward, things change. There's a revolution. Um, there's democracy, new president. We were all able to go back. So we went back in 86, and at that time, if you remember, and St. Louis, who you mean? So you're like a junior in high school? Junior in high school, probably sophomore, because I wasn't driving yet. Okay. And um, you know, I mean, me and St. Louis, uh, me and David went to grade school together, fourth, fifth, sixth grade at uh, the wonderful parish. That's right. Incarnate Word. That's right. That's right. (laughs) So you remember those days, and um, little did you know, I was a uh, refugee. And I, I was, you know, yeah. I remember because I went, I left after sixth grade. Mm-hmm. So first of all, did not know Arturo. Mm-hmm. It's always Art. Yep. Even when we run each other, because you went to the Smet. Correct. So we'd catch each other at a dance Parties, thing or yeah. whatever the deal was. And so when I contacted you and started to do the little research I did, it's Arturo everywhere. Oh, yeah. Well, it's always been Arturo and and uh, oh, people here. Rich Julius says hi. Oh, oh, Rich is We're going to the Stones. That's awesome. And uh, Black Crows. Wow. We were organizing it. You're more than welcome. We're, uh, he's a big Stones hey, guy. I mean, really? He, he, he's, this is our last tour. He might catch like three dates. Wow. So he wow, was wow. calling to confirm. We were talking about seat locations. He, they buy them on the 14th. Uh-huh. And then I'm in charge of buying the, the lawn tickets for wow. Black Crows. Guys. Well, well, well. <laughs> all right. Well, maybe. Possibly. I, we definitely all have to reconnect. He's calling Distorath. Yeah, 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 Matt DeSarath, um, good friend of ours, and I keep in touch with Matt once in a while. You know, this age of social media, Facebook. I haven't seen people in years, but we still feel connected by Facebook. You know, I mean that's the that's one of the ways it was as easy for me to reach out to you. Yeah, because we've been Facebook yeah. friends forever, and so it was just yep. I, I don't I am on my phone. Mm-hmm. That would drive me crazy. Okay, and I don't do Facebook probably every third day. Yeah, but you know I'll go on there mm-hmm. and I'll absolutely catch up. You know who's who's what's going on? What kids are being going, and you know I know that when our kids have graduated, people really appreciate the update. Mm-hmm. So I kind of look at it that. Way. Well, tell him I said hello too. So going back, we went back uh, with an intent of going back. Um, oh. and, and, and staying there. In 86. In, in 86. My dad was uh, offered several government positions because of his activism here, um, was, I guess, awarded some um, positions. Uh, one was under Secretary of Health, and because he was a urologist, he, he was uh, also offered um, a leadership position in the Kidney Institute. So he looked at it, and, um, you know, it was a third-world country. It was still trying to repair itself. It was really poor and... And, and, you know, the, the, my brothers and sisters, we went all back and we were so used to life here, mm-hmm. you know. And we, we grew up, you know, West County, St. Yeah. Louis, and, 
going back to a third world country, even though we had uh, a nice uh, house, exclusive uh, area of Manila, it wasn't the same. I mean, we'd, we'd ha- sometimes we'd have water, sometimes we'd have light, sometimes we didn't. And not to compare it to India, but, you know, there's, like, really nice places to live in oh, India. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, uh, three wood away, yeah. you don't want to be living there. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's life in the rest of the world, David. You know, I mean, a lot of people don't know that because here, I mean, we have a little bit of that here, but uh, it was a shock. Even though I was born there and I remember a little bit going back as a teenager, you know, and my, my friends were here. You know, I had a lot of, uh, you know, friends all over and, and you know, girlfriends. And I miss my, my, my girlfriend here. And going back there and thinking about starting a new life was very scary for all of us. My dad noticed that. And, and, he, and he, he looked at um, how could he serve his family best. And, and unfortunately, the only way at that time to make kind of money in, in those government positions were to do kind of side jobs, if you know what I mean. Hmm. And he was, he was comfortable here making a salary as a surgeon. So he made the, uh, the, uh, the, the tough decision to, to come back and apply as, you know, uh, green card holders here as immigrants, really Im- immigrants, took, took us back and continue his um, activism, but able to still work here in the United States. So we came back. We all came back, and uh, he got a position at the United Nations as an attache to the Philippine uh, embassy and he was uh, his salary was one peso a year so basically doing it for free <laughs> but he continued his activism here he, he wanted to still c- contribute to the restoration of democracy in the Philippines which was you know still it was still uh, very unstable after the revolution there I think there were six or seven attempted coups um, towards the new government so it was still very unstable that was another thing it was still not t- completely safe and although you're living in Vanilla West County, I mean your worldview is much different than oh, goodness. almost everybody else oh, you're hanging goodness, with. Goodness, goodness, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean there were some things there that uh, you kind of learned. That's not going to get me down. That's not that big of a deal. Yeah, that's right. I mean there are a lot of. I mean we're very, very uh, pampered here in the United States. We take a lot of things for granted. Um, people, I'm a psychiatrist, and we'll talk about that later. But people come to me because they're depressed because of you know first world problems a lot of times, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, you go to the other places in the world and you see destitute people living under bridges, kids, you know, sometimes not eating for days, and they're kicking cans or kicking balls and smiling. And uh, they don't know any better, but, um, you know, there are things in place that, uh, that, that keep us away from being depressed. You know, there's a lot of things that um, people in that situation that keeps them going. You know, they've got family. We've got a strong uh, sense of family and religion in the Philippines, you know, and uh, we try our best here, you know, we, we, we need more of that instead of more medications in my, in my point of view. I don't disagree. So we're at the SMET, we're graduating. Yeah. 5.2. Point <laughs> <laughs> 5.2. I'm not sure. Um, no. Gra- one thing that I uh, feel proud about is really surviving high school <laughs> because I did a lot, a lot of reckless things, like a lot of us. Like everybody our age, thank the Lord, mm-hmm. no cameras on phones. You, that, oh, totally. Oh. I, I don't know if there's no way I, I, I could do it. They might not have allowed you in a yeah, doctor's Yeah, that's school. right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, you know, I would have never met a great wife. <laughs> like a, you know, um, yeah, very, very lucky. And, um, 
and very thankful that um, survived a lot of close calls. Um, after Dismet, I was lucky enough to go to get a, um, uh, accepted at St. Louis University here. Okay. One Jesuit high school to a Jesuit. Um, it's not uncommon. Yeah, yeah. So I was lucky to get accepted uh, at that great institution. Graduated in four years. Nice. Yeah. They must have loved that. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, they don't, they don't know. They expect... And obviously our degrees in medical. It was pre-med okay. um, and in psychology. Okay. So um, graduated and looking for a job, looking in the paper. That's when we would read the paper back then, right? And I said, boy, what, what can I do here? And I found out that there was not a lot. I mean, I was proud of my, my area of study, but there was not really a lot uh, I could do with a psychology degree unless I went further. So I said, Dad, I think I probably need to get more education, um, you know, I want to I want to have a good life like you've provided for for us and um, probably think about master's, maybe possibly a Ph.D. And, and he said, why don't you just go to med school? I said, med school. What is it? You know, that's the last thing that was on my mind. Hmm. Dad, don't you don't you see, you know, my circle of friends. Right. <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, grandma used to They're say gonna need a doctor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 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 Uh, they were, you know, grandma used to say, you know, you tell me who you are by the people you hang out with. Um, no, my circle of friends in high school are still very good people. We were just uh, very, very, uh, you know, very happy uh, group of people. We were learning our way. That's right. That's right. All right. So where'd you go after SLU? So when I went to SLU, I, you know, we would travel back and forth uh, to, the, to the Philippines on vacation in the summers. And my, uh, my grandma, who's still alive, who grew up, basically um, widowed both of her children in the States, was begging me to come live with her and go to med school. I go, you're the second person that's asked me. I've never been interested in medicine, and I'm not smart enough to go into medicine. Why are you, you know? And part of it was because she, she, she missed out, out on, you know, her grandkids. So I said, Dad, she wants me to come back to the Philippines. What are you, what are you, what are you thinking? Is that okay? I said, yeah, sure, I'll support you. And uh, made the, uh, the big leap over the... Pacific Ocean, and I, I spent, uh, um, uh, you know, six years, four of them in, in the Philippines, uh, uh, in med school, rather, um, going back and forth and making sure that I could, I could uh, um, live there and, and not... And the not... university's quality is strong? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, 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 our oldest institution is older than, 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 than the first university here in the United States. God bless America. Yeah, yeah. So it was the Spanish influence. You know, we have a um, the University of Santo Tomas, a uh, big university that was established in the 1500s, um, medical school, complete um, course of uh, all the courses that, that, that you want to expect in a university, several excellent um, uh, medical schools, uh, nursing. We, we you know, we... we uh, Proud of our healthcare and in, in, in the and the and the doctors and nurses that we we uh, spit out and uh, go to other countries and provide quality healthcare to to I'm sure you know uh, some Filipinos that that uh, have doctors uh, as as friends or, or parents. A lot of them migrated here during martial law. Well, we grew up with Steve Luz. That's true. That's true. His parents. His dad. I'm sorry. You run into Stephen lately? Once in a while, I do. Very very, very busy. Well. Yeah, he's very busy. Um, he's, he's practicing medicine out here in St. Louis and he's, you know, he's got a family. So, yeah, but, uh, Against um, all odds. yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> he took his time. He did. <laughs> yes. Like all of us. You know, all right. Yeah. So we're graduating. 
graduating. Well, so it's during not college, it's master. It, it's it's medical school. Okay. So it's MD, and so during medical school, um, met my wife. Uh, she was a student. She sat right behind me, and um, had a good look at my 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 back all the time, and said, Cheated "Boy, off your paper." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and fell in love with my my back side there. Um, <laughs> And uh, we decided that we will, you know, she was, she had, she comes from a family of doctors and was planning to stay in Manila and work with her uh, father, who's a doctor too. But she made the leap of faith and decided to see if she could uh, take the exams, pass the exams and migrate with me to the, well, her migrate, but come back to the United States. What is her name? Valerie. I don't think I've ever met her. No, you met her. You'll meet her. Yeah, 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 yeah. So she's in, in internal medicine, and um, she's uh, she specializes in hospital work. So she's a hospitalist. She just does hospital work. So um, the the doctors that you see in the hospital, that's all they do hospital work. It's a little bit new thing. Um, back in the back in the day, your own physician may round on you if you got sick. You know, they'd see you in the hospital, and then they'd follow up in the in the um, um, in the in the in the office. But now. It's so um, it's so specialized. So hospitalists only stay in the hospital. Hmm. Outpatient doctors stay in the outpatient. So that's what she does. She just stays in the hospital, and she likes it. I would imagine continuity would be a good thing to have in a job like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, no hospital is going to uh, be empty these days. I mean, you know, it, it's um, and 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 uh, when they focus only on hospital medicine, they they're, they tend to be better. You know, because if your uh, primary care would go just see you once in a while in the hospital, he may not have done uh, hospital work in a while. So hospitalists just specialize in hospital medicine, which is different than outpatient medicine. So if I'm doing the math, so we're getting close to 2000. Yeah. And what are we doing then? So in graduated medical school uh, right at that time, and we were uh, required to, to pass four uh, board exams. Um, it's called the USMLE. Anybody who wants to uh, come to the United States and practice, these are the, the, the qualifying exams, the board exams. Very, very difficult. Are they prejudiced? Um, you know how like, some people say an SAT is not exactly the most fair test for every walking person on this planet? The difficulty with uh, uh, international medical students and graduates is it's U.S. standards. So I may be an expert at tuberculosis in the Philippines because that's what we see, but I might not see a lot of cancer, and we might not learn a lot about genetics. So the USMLE is, is uh, based on U.S. standards. So the difficulty, the bias is it's U.S. medicine. So we had to learn what, what's uh, current here. So uh, that's why there's, it's very difficult for uh, uh, international medical graduates to understand what's you know, the standard of care. Um, in the Philippines, we and other countries... Um, Do you get unlimited shots at this thing? or is there You a- can, but you know, it's like your transcript. If you fail, it's on your transcript. And then when you apply for training, once you pass all that's those exactly. exams... It took you nine times. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, Did exactly. you pass it the first time? Yeah, why absolutely. Oh, yeah. So, so you're on we your had way. We're on our way. And so once you pass, you have to apply for training. And so we, we were lucky. I got um, uh, accepted at St. Louis University Department of Psychiatry. And uh, Val got 
accepted at the old Deaconess Hospital. Do you remember that one? Saw Forest Park. It was it cha- it was Deaconess Hospital, then then uh, Forest Park Hospital. Okay, right across from uh, from the zoo. And since then, they tore it down. The zoo bought it, so they're they're planning to expand the zoo mm-hmm. in that area. So there's a hospital there, um, very very popular hospital. And you know, back in the day, a lot a lot of uh, local doctors were trained there. So she took the um, the um, internal medicine route. I took the psychiatry route. We both graduate at the same time. My training was four years. Her training was three years. But she came over a year after me. So, But we graduated at the same time, and we started practice together. So hold on. The wife took the exact same stuff you were taking, mm-hmm. but was able to complete it a year earlier in, in time. No, no, no. It was it was just timing because she had. I started residency, and she was still— so She's not a year smarter than you. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> she, had, uh, she opted to do— internship in the philippines for one year gotcha and so that she did that so she could get her um her, her license in the philippines so at that time she wasn't sure she was like we already said i don't know her mm-hmm. might have met her. you gotta be a pretty freaking confident person yeah. both in love and in yourself to come over voluntarily from a place where you're probably got it made back in the philippines yeah. you mean um yes and no I mean, you, what, what do you say? Got it made is is different, you know. But uh, um, you got a job, you got your family, your dad's been doing this for a long time. Yeah, I think the risk level is very low at the moment. And then when you come over here, it was risky. Loves you. Yeah, no, cool. for her. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, for her. Oh, for her, it was a big risk. Right. For me, it was you know I you know seventy thirty that I was going back to the states and oh, practicing. Yeah, I was talking more about her. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, big, big time risk. She didn't know she, she had come to the states a she few got times. She had a big piece of chicken for a while. She did. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Her family were initially disappointed um, because they had a lot of plans for her, but um, you know it's worked out. Include visiting St. Louis? No, 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 no. Yeah. How fast did you get married? Um, two thousand four, I believe. Yeah, during during our training. Yeah. And uh, at that time, we um, we we weren't. I mean, I wasn't. A, I wasn't an American citizen. I became an American citizen in two thousand six or seven. You have to take the test and the whole thing. I had to take it. Yeah, I had to know what about. Was that like? Uh, it, it was. It was more was it kind of mundane for you because you had gone through school here. Or well, let me ask you. I mean, there's some, there's some qu- tricky questions. Are like, you smarter than a fifth grader? Well, right, right. <laughs> if if the president and the vice president die, who who's in power? Mm, secretary. No, see, you wouldn't, you wouldn't pass the American. No, yeah, you would, they'd kick you out. Away. They'd take your green card away. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the Speaker of the House. Albert Pujols? Yeah. <laughs> I'd vote for him. But, you know, it's like, uh, what are the 50 stars? You said Speaker of the House? I believe so. It was because of the goofball that was when Reagan got shot. Mm-hmm. Whoever the Speaker of the House was, uh-huh. was scared the hell out of everybody. Yeah. So they had to take Bush and go hide him. Uh huh. <laughs> ah, really? That's what I remember. Okay. I'd have to, let's go back and look at it. Yeah. You're right. It yeah. 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 Most of it's easy. Like you know, what's the the uh, what's the Constitution mean? One question that my wife. Uh, so one question on on the U.S. exam for citizenship is, if um, if 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 you were if the United States were attacked, would you be willing to bear arms and fight for the United States? And my wife was, well, you know, the, you know, the answer is a simple yes, right? right? And she's like, "I, you don't want me. I can't shoot a gun." <laughs> I, and you know, she's, you know, she doesn't like guns. She's okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And uh, she's like, no, I'm a bad shot. I can help in other ways. I am a doctor. I can help you. So she does well in essay questions, but not true false. Right, Multiple right, right, right. So they had to reword it. If a alien came in here, <laughs> would you would you pick up a gun and shoot it? Shoot at the alien? Said, oh, of course. Yeah, no problem. But, you know, we're so doctors. Is it pass-fail or do you get graded? Oh, it's pass-fail. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're doctors. We're, we're not in the business to shoot and kill people. So that's where we're thinking, right? How long did the whole process take to get your citizenship? Well, there's a fee. There is a, a background check. They're taking um, you on the way in. Yeah, yeah. Welcome, welcome to America. Yeah, right, right, right. And some people can't afford the fee. I mean, oh, it's, 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 I, probably it Probably now it's probably over $1,000. Really? Yeah, yeah. Nobody can afford that. Yeah. If, you they, th- if you're thinking the normal immigrant is... The reason they're here is because they don't have a dollar. Well, you know, that's what makes immigrants so, I mean, um, they, they save because they work dollars. they work hard and they save up for this because it's a big thing for them. You know, when people come here, there's a reason why people come here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not because they want, you know, it, it, a lot of times it, it really is freedom, you know, freedom in, uh, from oppression from the country. A lot of immigrants come here. I would take an army of immigrants than um, – uh, you know, people who are bunch of spoiled white, you know West what County I mean. Kids. Yeah, <laughs> you know that don't to, to work for me in my comp in right. my com- in my company uh, any day of the week. Um, and there's a lot of people that their dream is to come to to America. Everybody knows about you know, um, but there's and and so yeah, it's 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 sometimes a obstacle, but. Um, that that kind of shows a little bit of you know persistence and and uh, hard work that they come here and you know they they get over then I don't know if there's um, scholarships now but um, you know but yeah you you have to pay the fee um, you take the test there's in a Jeff ba- City or can you do it in Clayton um, you just mail it in you mail oh, it in okay. so there's a background check and then uh, make sure that you're not a criminal Wait, it's or open book it can be for some people <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. yeah yeah yeah. There's a background check. Make sure that you're not a terrorist or, uh, you know, somebody who's that the United States doesn't want. And Sir, I yeah. hope they yeah. do a good job. With yeah, that. yeah. Okay. And um, and then you, you hear by mail that that uh, the swearing in usually it's the Fourth of July or some holiday. And for me, I, growing up here, no big deal. I finally become a you know I was a green card holder, which means I can enjoy any right the uh, you know a citizen can have, except I couldn't vote. That was the only thing. Green card holders are... And you left are, before you were going to be voting anyway. Right, 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 right. And so it was no big deal for me showing up and getting uh, sworn in. But when I came, it was really moving emotionally because you saw people from Africa and from actually from Europe and from Asia all coming in and and everybody having their different colors, uh, being proud of where they came from. A lot of people were there were... They had their, you know, their... their, their um, their customary attire, but they all were uh, holding their American flag, and it was emotional for for most of the crowd there. For me, I'm I'm used to I you know grew up here and and uh, but for me it it, it kind of reminded me uh, the journey a lot oh, of these people come go through. Robin Williams had that movie Moscow on the Hudson. Did you ever see that? Parts of it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so not comparing the two, but again with the attire and mm-hmm. again with the fierce loyalty to both worlds. Right. To their heritage right. and to their new beginning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And no joking about either of the two. No, no. I mean, uh, and they're proud of both. Both, uh, You know, America is, is all about um, uh, mixing of cultures. You know, and then you hear it all the time. You know, we, the immigrants made this country. 
And I finally realized at a deeper level, understood where, where, you know, I got to appreciate that a little bit more. So we're 2005. You're going to change the world in 10 years. What happens between 2005 and 2015? <laughs> so I, I finished residency, finished my training. Um, I start a practice. I quickly get uh, interested in addiction. Part, part of it was because as I, I was the chief resident at, at St. Louis University in the department, and one, one you were duty. The chief, resident chief resident, yeah, yeah. Of the. So, kind of the boss of. Addiction department? Uh, of the uh, Department of Psychiatry. Are you setting a record for youngest chief of staff? Oh, no, no, no. I was. I was uh, chief of staff is different than chief resident. Okay. Chief re- residents are. Uh, or you could just lie to me and say, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I wouldn't do that, David. Come on. We. We went to a Catholic school together. <laughs> I right, feel so, really bad. Uh, we're employed. And I, I am and not employed. I start my own uh, practice. So Where's I'm self-employed. Practice at? Uh, Creve Corps. How hard is it to get new patients? In psychiatry, not so hard. Good. Because uh, there's not enough of us. Um, there's a big demand. There is now an openness to talk about mental health. And you'll talk to everybody, but you're specializing at the moment in addiction and depression well in psychiatry uh, in the beginning it was all comers we would have depression depression bipolar schizophrenia addiction anxiety i mean every everything um in the beginning we just took everything but i got a serious um interest in in addiction because in training when i was a chief resident we we were uh, uh responsible for uh, education of the medical students and the other residents, and our exposure to addiction was really, really bad. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Uh, we didn't have a lot of tools. So I, I made sure that we had a, a different experience, and we started talking about medic- medications for addiction. Um, before, we would get people in the emergency room, and they'd call the psychiatry department. They're going, I got a drunk guy in the uh, ER. You know, go, go, go see him. And a lot of times, we'd go down there and just help give them a piece of paper and go, here are the 12-step groups in your area. And that was it. And I thought that was very... Um, so you dumped it on AA? Yeah. That's huh. all we had before I, I you know, questioned that behavior. Because I know it used to be the case if tra- somebody tries to commit suicide, mm-hmm. they have to get locked up and they have to see somebody before they'll release them. Is that still true? T- typically, if you do a suicidal attempt, you, you, yeah, you, that's a ticket into the psychiatric unit. Right. And uh, um, to make sure that they're safe uh, uh, against themselves and other people. And uh, you get stabilized in the, in the psychiatric hospital. A psychiatrist uh, may see you, get put you on medicines, maybe not. Did you ever not. have to do one of those? Oh, I did that for years, yeah. Did you ever have to do the he's not ready yet? Oh, I'll, yeah, yeah, wow. I'll, yeah. And then so. How do you not take that home? I do. Huh. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you, 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 you. Uh, you're doing what the customer patient needs for you to do, mm-hmm. but then at the same time, you are their god when it comes to freedom. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to say god, um, but the the law allows uh, physicians to to make decisions medically if they are deemed uh, to uh, to to uh, not be um, um, fit to make their own medical decisions. So they lose the capacity to make medical decisions. That can't be a gut call. I mean, there must be a checklist or a barometer of things. Yeah, when they're coming in the ER, they're typically brought in by the police or an ambulance after a serious suicide attempt and, um, or an overdose. A lot of times they go to the ICU to be stabilized, and then when they wake up or are medically stabilized, they're transferred to the psychiatric uh, unit. And then that may be the first time they, they see a psychiatrist. 
They may put you on a medicine, maybe not. And um, after a few days of stability, and we don't know. We don't have a blood test to see if somebody's not psychotic or suicidal. Mm-hmm. So it's tough. You've got to talk to them. Mm-hmm. You've got to assess risk for the patient. And, and, um, and then when you discharge them, you encourage them to follow up with a, a psychiatrist near them, possibly get some counseling, um, and, hope, and hope that they follow up with you. But, uh, yeah, it, it's called an involuntary commitment. So when somebody does something like uh, voice, um, I'm suicidal or I'm going to hurt, you know, my wife, the, um, you, you, you can write an affidavit and say my, my, my husband threatened to kill himself, and that becomes a legal document. Uh, you call the ambulance or the police. They take him to the hospital. The, the affidavit allows the hospital and the doctor and the staff to, to, to keep that that patient up to 96 hours. That's what we call a 96-hour hold against their will. And I got to be thinking, and we're going to get to how come you're a superstar real quick, but you got detox issues going on. Oh, yeah, yeah, all so, the time, yeah. So they're not of well mind. Mm-hmm. Now they're not drinking for the first time in 20 years. Possibly. And they're they're going through all the detox. Possibly, yeah. That we would get a, a share of those people who are substance abusers and they may f- show up in the in the in the emergency room voluntarily say I'm going through opiate withdrawal or heroin withdrawal or alcohol withdrawal I'm going to kill myself so what we do is we bring them in if we can take care of the withdrawals in the hospital we'll do that and then we address the psychological component whether it may be depression bipolar so a lot of things can you know show up in in the in the emergency room yeah. all right so uh, by the time we get to 2015, do we have children yet? Uh, when was Joaquin born? He was born in 2008. Yeah, 2008, my first son, Joaquin, was born. 2009, Raul was born. So two kids. Two, two young great kids. Names. Yeah, yeah. As we talk now about the opiate epidemic. Right. Have you ever seen the movie Philadelphia? I have not. Okay. Is so that Tom Hanks? It's Denzel Washington and Tom Hanks. Okay. And Denzel Washington is Tom Hanks's lawyer. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to say that the reason he got fired was because it was supposed that he was gay. Mm-hmm. And that's your subplot. There's a line in Philadelphia that I'm going to borrow right now. And it's Denzel Washington talking to Tom Hanks. And he says, okay, I need you to treat me like I'm a two-year-old because I don't know what this is all about. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to help other people listening. But I'm not real knowledgeable about the whole opiate epidemic and everything we've gone through. But what I what I understand is that it started in the 90s. Is that correct? Well, opiates have been around for for a long the, time. The crisis, um, as we've defined pro- it, probably in the late 90s. Okay. And okay. the way I understand it is, doctors have always struggled on a way to manage pain, mm-hmm. and so they started to fill out a lot more medications. With this awareness that they were now discovering, there was a there was a decree by the I believe it was the VA, and they asked the medical staff when you assess a patient, we're going to call it the fifth vital sign, and it's pain, and you assess if somebody is in pain, and if they're in pain, you treat it, treat it very ambitiously, and because the the thought was no one deserves to be in pain, and back then. Uh, we had these new medications called opioids that were getting popular. And the opioids could promise you that, to be completely pain-free. And we know pain is not a vital sign. You know, um, it's not vital to life. You can live without pain or, or, or uh, live with a lot of pain. It doesn't kill you. Not like a blood pressure or a, therm- or a temperature. Those are vital signs. Right. If you have no temperature, you're dead. 
or if you have a high temperature, you could die. So uh, we, we called pain the fifth vital sign. That was one, one of the first mistakes. It's not a vital sign. And uh, so the doctors at that time were led to believe that opiates were uh, safe. And uh, as we know now, they're very, very addicting. And then the pharmaceuticals came in, and, um, and then the, 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 the orgy of, 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 of business got, got a hold of everybody, the patients, the doctors, the pharmaceuticals, and everybody was making money. The, uh, the patients were making money because their bottle of OxyContin that, that the insurance paid for, that they had to pay like a 3 to $5 copay, suddenly became worth $8,000 on the street. Mm. So there was a behavior that the patients found out, hey, I'm, I'm going to sell my, my meds. There's a big demand out there. And so the doctors, some uh, uh, scrupulous doctors, uh, jumped on board and said, boy, everybody is um, um, in pain, need these medicines. And they kind of winked at, at this. And, and suddenly these people who were uh, giving a lot of pain meds became very popular doctors in the community. And so these pain clinics were popping up. And a lot of these uh, patients were paying straight up cash, so the doctors were were benefiting. Like the doctors are making enough money. Uh, yeah, right. But you know, it's easy money for a lot of doctors because right. you know it's just a script, and they've got the they've got the uh, diagnosis. They may have a uh, an X ray in hand because uh, you know, and it may be the same X ray that all the patients are kind of sharing within themselves. Um, so there was a lot of bad behavior, and then uh, ultimately the. Um, the pharmaceuticals, um, you know, cashed in, and uh, overnight there was a, um, a you know, a, a increase of, of uh, prescription meds that led the prescription pain med epidemic led to the heroin epidemic. Uh, that was a second wave, and then now we're seeing the synthetic opioid epidemic. So fentanyl, yeah, fentanyl. We're not seeing a lot of Got heroin. My boy Prince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's one of my favorites, uh, all time. Statistics are dangerous because you can make them sound any way that you want them to sound. Mm-hmm. Ballpark, 130 people a day dying in the United States. It changes every time the statistics come out. But um, it's probably now uh, close to 200 people a day. And they're writing less scripts now. They are writing like less scripts because doctors years. yeah, doctors are doing their fair share of uh, you know behaving. But this is forcing a lot of people to get their opioids on the street. So that's why there's a bump up in the fentanyl overdoses. And I've also read, please correct me when I'm wrong, you get off the painkillers because they're not doing the prescriptions anymore. Mm-hmm. Your choice of drug is then heroin. And yeah, then after I, that, it might be fentanyl laced with heroin. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or what we're seeing now is fentanyl laced with methamphetamine. And so, are people taking fentanyl and not knowing it's laced, or what's the story behind that? Well, I learned a lot from my patients. So I said, "What are, what are you, what are you doing?" Um, I'm thinking there, there was a transition where they're looking for heroin on the streets. Now, and and then they're getting fentanyl without knowing it, and then they're overdosing, mm-hmm. and that's when they come to get treatment because they they weren't intending to overdose, but fentanyl is a hundred times more potent than than the morphine. How does a person, we talk about Prince, and just in general, you can go to six Walmarts, Walgreens in a day. Mm-hmm. How's that? There's not a computer that flags that you were getting stuff 15 minutes ago, 10 miles down the road? Boy, that's another thing. I mean, um, you, you can, when you're, a, when you're a star, you can get away with a lot of things that you and I can't get away with. 
I mean, they, we don't have posses <laughs> that visit doctors. I understand. So they know, were getting them in different names. Different names. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and and probably uh, it wouldn't surprise me that he he uh, he had a supplier too. So your patients are telling you what's going on. They're looking for heroin because they can't get the painkillers anymore, mm-hmm. and then they're taking this fentanyl and maybe not knowing that it's not what they they're not getting it, and they're overdosing. And that's maybe the first time that they're gonna the, the, recently here now, uh, the first time that they're they're getting some treatment because that wakes them up. And like anybody who's been through addiction or knows people who have the hardest part is that first initial week or that mm-hmm. first initial mm-hmm. detox, right? And that's where I'm gonna sit back and you're gonna talk to me about the bridge, right? 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 So. You know, um, specifically opioids, when you take a lot of opioids, uh, something happens to the brain, right? Things, uh, without getting too technical, uh, receptors change, uh, the neurotransmitters change, and when you take uh, opioids for a long period of time and you, and you stop, uh, there's, there's this freak out that your brain goes through and it's called withdrawal. And um, we, you, it was very, very difficult to treat this because the only... The only, you know, up until two years ago, there was nothing FDA approved that was specific to uh, treating the opiate withdrawal. So what would we do is we would give them either uh, more more opioids, um, methadone, uh, another another uh, new medicine called buprenorphine. So that these are opioids that replace the uh, the the uh, illegal drug, right? So we're giving them a, a legal drug that you can get from the doctor. <clears throat> the problem is. Eventually, you're going to have to get off those if that's a desire, but a lot of times that's a, a lifesaver. But it's this uh, withdrawal that keeps them from just walking away from it because they know that um, a little heroin, a little dope will make it all go away. So a lot of times they just keep on doing it just because they don't want to get sick. They're not getting high anymore. And so they, they, they keep on using an opioid because of this strong, strong with, withdrawal. Withdrawal is kind of described as the the worst flu you've ever had times a million. Mm. So you have the shakes, the the diarrhea, the vomiting, the the uh, um, uh, the anxiety, the fear, um, and it it'll drive you mad, and it'll, and it'll drive you to do a really a lot of dumb stuff. You know, I mean, I always said that if you gave the Pope a bunch of fentanyl for a year just for fun, and then you took it away from him. He's going to do some really, you know. It's a very Protestant approach. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the point is, I mean, the value systems the, point, the Pope has has no chance with as protection when you're going through withdrawal. You just turn into an animal. So you've got a device. They were using it for something else than the opiates. They were using it to help with right, right, surgery right. Uh, soreness. And right. So, and so, you figured out because you're yeah. smart. Uh, well, lucky, yes. lucky, lucky. You uh, found out you could take a version of this. Mm-hmm. You took it down to some place in Indiana. Well, that was a uh, the the company that we partnered with okay. that, that we approached to to develop the the device. And and this helps people within twenty minutes not feel what typically they would feel for the last yes hundred years of this. Period. Yeah, uh, a lot of times much quicker than twenty minutes. Wow. The reason why we had to kind of and it's it's a thing behind your ear, yeah. It's and then a it's like little wire thing, yeah. It has needles. And it goes to the brain and it stops the brain from understanding pain. Part of it, that's okay. it's part of it. It does a lot of things, but the, one one thing that we're doing is we're tapping into 
Uh, again, not to get technical, we have a brain, and then we got a midbrain, that brainstem, right? And then uh, from that brainstem, there are 12 cranial nerves that control the head. So one nerve may control the eye, the optic nerve, and then one may control the smell and the taste and the hearing and stuff like that, movement and, and things. So there's 12 cranial nerves that, that spit out from, the, from the, uh, the middle of the brain, the brainstem. And so what we're doing with the, this device and devices like the bridge is we're tapping into the, the brainstem. Because this is the brain stem turns into the brain, and this is a painless thing. Painless, okay. Yeah, and um, well, there's little needles that you know, but it's like acupuncture. Eh, <laughs> it's they're needles. I don't know. I'm not an acupuncturist, so I, I can't comment if it is like it or not. But it's small little microscopic needles that send uh, gentle, low frequency electricity to the ends of the nerves in your face and your ear, and and it goes backwards and uh, eventually hits the the brain stem. And it's that brainstem that's out of control. That's where all the fear and the pain, that's like the subway state. That's uh, Grand Central Station. Okay. And if you could stop some of those signals, you're going um, to have effect with anti, you're gonna have an anti-pain effect. And you're going to have an anti-anxiety effect. And we see that it's got a lot of good things that happens. What is an antagonist? Antagonist generally is a blocker. So antagonist versus an agonist. An, um, an agonist is a stimulator. So we refer to antagonist and agonist um, in, uh, in the context of like receptors in, in the body. So you have a receptor, and if you block receptor, you block the, the effect. If you agonize that receptor, you stimulate it. So there are drugs that block and or stimulate. So um, sometimes those kind of medicines are helpful in, in uh, opiate withdrawal, but the device seems to um, tap into the part of the brain is, which is dysfunctional, which is kind of out of control during withdrawal. So we discovered that these devices were helpful in, in regular pain. Um, and I th thought at that time, I said, you know, the, the pain secondary to opiate withdrawal has to use the same highways that regular pain does. But really, no one really uh, appreciated that the pain of opiate withdrawal really um, use those highways. You know, I, I took I took the emotion out of it and looked at it as a as a uh, you know a, a neurobiological question, and I said it has to use the same highways because it's it's painful. It really is painful, um, and lo and behold, it it was um, eighty eight percent successful. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're gonna be in history books, man. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe your history book that uh, <laughs> you're gonna write after you yeah you become famous too with this. All right. So what yeah. is Vivitrol? Vivitrol is part of the, the uh, protocol. So the reason why it's called the, the first device that we developed, um, why we called it the bridge, was it was the bridge to um, Vivitrol. Vivitrol is the only medicine that, is, that lasts one month. It's an injection, and it's an antagonist. It blocks that opiate receptor in the brain. Before the bridge, it was difficult to get people... Uh, completely detox because it's a it's a five seven you know sometimes even more pro day process and uh, some people didn't have the patience to wait and they'd say screw it i'm just going to use and so that's therefore it's so, so difficult um vivitrol is one of the three medications that are used for for opiate and heroin addiction um, but the thing with the thing that's different with vivitrol is you have to be completely detoxed um, it promises you monthly um uh, protection from any opioid. So if you ask a lot of people, they would probably prefer to be on something like that because it's not take addicting. Them after you've done this medicine, 
do you then just ruin your insides and you throw up all over? No, them? no, 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 not at all. It, so it's an antagonist, so it blocks it. So once you have the medicine on board, that medicine lasts 30 days, and if you relapse, you're protected from any kind of uh, high. Oh, you don't feel it. You don't feel it. Perfect. Yeah. It's like eating an apple. Uh, kind of, yeah, taking, taking the, uh, uh, keeping the doctor away. All right. But so you got to eat the apple. You are founder and medical director of InSynergy. Yes. Walk me through this. So InSynergy is my company. Um, it's an outpatient, it's a private outpatient substance abuse uh, program. So we, um, we implement um, evidence-based strategies to, um, to treat uh, withdrawal from, from addiction um, and, and addiction itself. So there's a lot of things that we do that you won't, uh, you know, you won't see a lot of if you went to different programs. Um, we do genetic testing. Um, a lot of times people uh, use drugs or drink because they don't, they're not responding to their antidepressants or, or things like that, and they may de be depressed, and that drives them to substance use. Did you see that rat study? Which, which the wrestling? one where they're in a pleasant environment and they can choose between the stuff you shouldn't touch and the stuff you can touch, and then they're in a bad environment. They all go to the bad stuff when they're in a bad environment, and they still go to the good stuff, not the bad stuff when they're in the good environment. Really? Yeah. And was telling me about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lots of rat studies out there. But yeah, we're like rats. I mean, you know? Actually, we did a rat study that showed that the bridge reduced the firing of a part of the brain called the amygdala by 65%. And the amygdala is part of the brain that, that controls fear and memory and anxiety. So when we give somebody the bridge and we reduce the fear and the anxiety and the memory of the bad memory of withdrawal, they tend to relax and they, they tend to go, I think I can do this. Um, if you can imagine, if that amygdala is on it's fire. That clarity. Clarity, yeah, it's the fear. What's right. going to happen? I totally understand what's going to happen if I do this. Right. I now know not to do that. Right, 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 yeah. And also, you are best in the field of psychiatry and addictive medicine since 2009. Yes. Is this that's, global? Is this your neighborhood? <laughs> it's this room. <laughs> yeah, I'm the best psychiatrist in this room. <laughs> no, it's just one of these honors that, uh, um, you know, a, a big, uh, I think this is, this is the Harvard group. And they go to different uh, different communities, and they honor their 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 best, the best uh, specialists in their town. And I, you know, I've been on that list since what did you say, two thousand nine? Yeah. Talk to me about psychiatry in this process. So before we got in there, we were talking about the difference between psychiatry and psychology. Uh, they both. Um, um, specialize in, in, in human behavior. Um, the psychiatrist, which, which I am, has to go uh, through medical school, which is four years after you get your bachelor's, and then an, an additional four years of training after you get your medical degree. So that's eight years of post-college uh, uh, training. Right. And then after that, um, you do subspecialty, which can range from one to three additional years. So we just established at SLU, and I'm pretty proud of, of being part of the, the, uh, the new addiction medicine program, and we, we get uh, a couple fellows. We're going to have our first fellows this, uh, this year, I believe, um, and that's uh, a year-long fellowship. So that's how people get trained in addiction nice. medicine, yeah. Moving forward. Mm -hmm. So your process 
ballpark is like six months? Uh, we, we have a few um, options. When people come in, they, a lot of people just want to get detox. And, and we know that detox is not treatment. Detox is the first step. So we, we dangle the carrot in front of them, and we got a detox program. So we detox them with the bridge, and once they uh, respond to that, they can think a little bit more clearly. Um, and then we talk about, you know, what's, what's uh, aftercare going to look like so for they, you. So they come in for a session, and they sit on a couch. I'm making a joke. But that you are having sessions with them. Yeah, well, during detox, we're mainly uh, medicating them, making sure they're medically stable. Um, in alcohol, withdrawal can be very dangerous. So we are watching them for several days after they come in, giving them medications so they don't have a seizure. Mm. So we do uh, not a lot of introspective uh, talking with them. Uh, we basically want to medically stabilize them. And once they're medically stabilized and after the detox is over, we talk about um, post-detox care. We offer a three-month program, and which is, um, you know, they got, they got me, um, the, the doctor, they can see me as much as they want. I can, and we do the genetics. We have social workers, nurses, um, psychologists. Uh, we have group meetings. We have family meetings. Um, and many times it's the first time that they, they, they stabilize. So they, sometimes they, they go, I want to you know, do another three months. So our, our average is more than, than three months. But the first phase of their, their treatment um, is the first three months, and then they they decide whether or not if they don't have a support system they can can uh, continue with more more programming. Um, the average person in our program gets about thirteen or fourteen Vivitrol shots, and that's a lot better than the national average. So the national average is like three, and a lot of times it's because they don't have the post detox care. So we offer them: listen, your detox, you're on Vivitrol. There's a lot more work to be done, and you can do it here, or we encourage them to do it in another system. But if they're with us, we tend to think that we do a good job, and um, our average is, yeah, like I said, 13 shots. And the question is, when do you get off that stuff? Or when do you get off the, uh, the, the Vivitrol? When can you stop? So we tend to assess risk when we see other, other things change in their life. It's, did you, did you break up with your drug-using boyfriend? Did, you, did your husband stop drinking because, you know, you wanted to stop drinking, but your husband kept on drinking? Did that improve? So there are other layers of protection that has to be assessed. And if they don't have any other protection except Vivitrol, they're not going to do well. So we encourage them to make those life changes. I'm learning. I need to know more. I feel bad that... Uh... Not that I'm not aware of it, but just to be as clueless as I am, and hopefully people who are listening give you a call if they know yeah. people who could use your help or uh, look you up on the web. Sure. With the, what website is? In SynergySTL.com. So I know it's kind of a weird-sounding name, but it's it's the words sure. in and synergy mushed together. Or Google Arturo. Or Google my name, yeah. I'm, All right. I'm the, uh, uh, not getting away yet. Tell me, talk to me about slaying dragons. Slaying dragons, real quickly. So, um, I got involved with a non-for-profit uh, organization where we're, we're um, our mission is to give um, mental health a, a stage. So it's it's primarily a theater group, um, and so we go around town, different places, and we 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 uh, do plays, and uh, the play. Is usually ha- usually has a mental health theme, either depression, schizophrenia, psychosis, addiction, and so it's a it's a short play. Um, 
about an hour, an hour and a half. And, and at the end of the play, um, the psychiatrist and other providers get on stage and we, we answer questions from the, from the crowd. And, uh, you know, kind of sift through what, whatever was going on that in the play. That could be the real show. That is kind of <laughs> where a lot of people ask, and was this character, is that a real-world character? Was this exaggerated, you know, this and that? So it's really interesting how there's a communication. But the idea is giving mental health a, a, a stage. And so we're going to, a couple years into it, and we're hoping it's going to uh, get some legs and get supported by the community. But it's kind of a fun thing for me. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. Yeah, yeah. I try my best. Good catching up. Yeah, you too, David. And there you have it. Hope you enjoyed it. Maybe you learned a little something. Been a good week. Want to thank Howard Balzer and Dan O'Neill for coming by, sat down, chatted it up. Going to have those episodes out in a few. Looks like uh, emos next week. Should be a good one. Is a good one, as a matter of fact. Also, if you want on YouTube, feel free to check out our St. Louis 7 interviews that have now been uploaded and posted. Appreciate everybody who likes us on Facebook at OT with Oliver. Go to the website, otwitholiver.com, to hear former episodes, previous episodes. Email us with episode ideas. Seriously, if you've got somebody or something that you think we should document, otwitholiver at gmail.com. And as we do, thanks for your time, this time, till next time, so long.